Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.55 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is Monday, the 8th of March, 2021. This is episode 379 of Bitcoin, and we got another company onboarding into Bitcoin, this time out of Norwegian. <laughs> Sorry, that, that's so wrong. I didn't mean to do that. Out of Norway. It's a Norwegian company out of Norway. Oh my God, fjords must be on my mind. <clears throat> okay, so w- what's going on with this? Um, li- bef- Actually, before we dive right in, Let's talk a little bit about the triggering that happened over the weekend. I'm specifically talking about two events that I know about. Uh, Friday, every Bitcoiner in the world got triggered (laughs) because frickin' Jack Dorsey is auctioning off a tweet on some NFT platform specifically designed to auction tweets. Okay, now listen, guys, this has become out of control, right? Even I got triggered. I shouldn't have been triggered, but I got triggered. So exactly why is there is there triggering behind this this one? Is it because it's Jack? Well, that has part, you know, that's part partly to blame. But the real problem is that in my opinion, nothing has demonstrated the futility of owning an NFT like this one did. Because if you look at the company, it's like I V V chain or something like that. If you look at the frequently asked questions, not only are they completely non-fleshed out, it was almost like a, a six-year-old wrote the frequently asked questions, but what they did write demonstrates almost to a T why getting an NFT doesn't really matter. Okay, so he's Jack selling his very the not only his first tweet, but the first tweet, okay? It's the very first thing that hit the uh, the Twitter network <clears throat> where he said he was setting up his Twitter account. And what comes on a tweet? Well, you get what was said. You get the time that it was tweeted out. If there was any media attached to it, you get essentially the media that comes along with the tweet. And, and there it sits. So the frequently asked question... Uh, frequently asked questions page of this particular company said something like, and here's what you get. You get what was said, the timestamp of the tweet, the media that might come along with the tweet. And then they say it again, uh, the time that the tweet was uh, tweeted out. Okay. So that's the timestamp, dude. I'm serious. They said it twice in their frequently asked questions. It's a shit show. And it's worse because when I first saw it, it was like it, within minutes of, of him doing it, I saw that I saw the uh, uh, him because Jack himself tweeted out the uh, link to go buy his tweet. And uh, so I went there and it was already at eleven thousand dollars. 
And then within minutes, it was 88,888. And now here comes Justin Sun from the, the, the Tron guy, the Tron CEO, <clears throat> who bid, uh, if, if you can believe what he said, I'm, I can't go back to the, to the website to check. I just don't want to, okay? But apparently Justin Sun bid half a million dollars on it and then upped his bid to a full $1 million for a tweet that stays on the network. And all you really get, you get everything about the tweet plus a signature from Jack's uh, Ethereum wallet. That's it. He, it, it. The tweet doesn't get to get pulled down. The Twitter network is never going to know who owns that tweet. I, Again, guys, I don't get it. <clears throat> I just, I just don't. The other great triggering event was Eric D. July. Uh, a lot of us follow him, and he got in. He got into. He, I don't know. He, I guess he messed with the hair of some Bitcoiners, and he is just on a full alert at this point. So, <clears throat> if you're wondering why Eric D. July is so triggered, it was because he uh, said so. I don't know exactly what he said. He, I, I know what he said. He, he lumped. Uh, Bitcoin in with all the rest of the uh, all the rest of crypto, and as we know, it's not. And people were trying to tell him, and there was like Andy. I think Andy Edstrom said some things to him, and I mean, most people were were pretty poli- uh, polite about it. And he just went ballistic. I don't know why. That's what I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how somebody that's pretty level headed like Eric could be uh, so easily triggered. But damn, dude, and I guarantee you today is not going to be any better for Eric because we're going to, we're going to, uh, I'm going to read you this tweet here from CT and that is S E E T E E underscore I O, uh, is the Twitter handle. Now, what do they, what do they say? They say today we announced the launch of CT. We are a new company in the Acker group and will invest in exciting projects and companies throughout the Bitcoin ecosystem. And they, I'm not changing the word. They don't say crypto. They say Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is our treasury asset. Our first purchase was 1,170 BTC, and our strategy is to hodl. Okay, so who's Acre? Uh, Acre is a 180-year-old, I think they started out as a fishing company in Norway and have, have since spread out to be a major manufacturer. I think of off like they also manufacture i think offshore oil rigs now at this point but it's i mean these this company's been around for a long long time and they built ct and spun it out to be the investment arm for the acre group okay so and now they've already purchased 1170 btc okay i that's nothing to sneeze at that's a lot of money okay that that's a lot of bitcoin honestly so it gets even better though, because <clears throat> status quant, uh, or status quant rather, is at S T A T U S Q U O N T, writes them back and says, Curious if you can share if this references BTC Pay Server. And he's got a screenshot of their announcement with a highlight. And the highlight is what's being highlighted here is the sentence The team at CT is already running open source Bitcoin payment servers. All right, so CT writes back almost immediately and says, yes, we are proud to say we run a BTC pay server on our full BTC Lightning Network node. I, I, I don't know what to say to this. 
I, I'm like, I'm actually rather stunned that they were just set up and ready to roll. I mean, it was like they just bossed through the door and man, they're set up with BTC pay server. They're running their full node. They get, you know, 1,170 Bitcoin. It's a 180 year old company's investment arm. I, dude, it's, it's awesome. So let's get, let's dig a little bit deeper into that story. <clears throat> Osato Avin Namayo is writing this one for Cointelegraph. Acre ASA has created a new subsidiary firm to hold Bitcoin on its balance sheet and invest in other companies in the crypto space. Acre ASA is a six billion Oslo Boers listed holding company <clears throat> and is set to begin investing in Bitcoin. According to the press release issued on Monday, Acre has created a new company called CTAS whose mission is to invest in Bitcoin. The newly formed CT will also delve into Bitcoin mining arena while looking to forge useful partnerships with major players in the crypto space. Indeed, CT has reportedly entered into a collaborative agreement with Blockstream. According to Blockstream's CEO, Samson Moe, the Bitcoin infrastructure firm will work closely with CT on its BTC mining and sidechain implementation pursuits. Despite the Norwegian government ending electricity subsidies to BTC miners back in November of 2018, Bitcoin mining activity in the country still contributes to a significant proportion of the global hash rate distribution. Outside China, the country ranks number eight in terms of global monthly hash rate, according to data from the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index. As previously reported by Coin Telegraph, Bitfury signed an agreement with the private equity firm to upgrade the latter's $35 million investment uh, in BTC in their BTC mining farm. The press statement also revealed that the new company will look to pursue investments into other firms in the crypto and blockchain arena. Acre will provide 500 million Norwegian krone or $58 million in initial capitalization for CT with the new company holding all of its liquid investable assets in BTC. The move marks a significant departure from Acre's usual investments in oil exploration and marine biotech sectors. Tweeting on Friday, CT revealed that it had already purchased 1,170 BTC. And then I just read you that tweet, so we won't worry about that. <clears throat> Commenting on the rationale for exploring Bitcoin investments, Acre CEO Oyvind Erickson remarked, quote, <clears throat> with the launch of CT, the Acre Group makes another move into software and fintech. We are very excited about the industrial opportunities that will be unlocked by Bitcoin and blockchain technology and want to contribute forcefully to that effort. <laughs> forcefully, okay. Acre is the latest in a growing list of companies around the world investing in Bitcoin from business intelligence outfit MicroStrategy to electronic vehicle manufacturer Tesla and Canadian restaurants have converted cash reserves to BTC in recent months. I do believe they're probably talking about tahinis. I One of these days I will be able to eat at a tahinis because they'll to have enough money to basically put one anywhere they want, honestly. Which leads into this next story. Because if, if you want to be rich, Bitcoin's limited supply cap means you only need 0.01 BTC. All right, this is likely irresponsible, all right, from Marcel Pechman. But hey, it's Monday. Why, might as well take a big old hit of hopium, right? So this is out of, in fact, out of Cointelegraph. <clears throat> While purchasing 0.01 Bitcoin might cost you only $500 today, current trends in global wealth distribution and the inevitable realization of Bitcoin's limited supply could result in 0.01 BTC being worth $1 million. 
like I said, man, this is likely irresponsible. So hold on. According, uh, according to Credit Suisse's uh, Global Wealth Report of 2020, there are 51.9 million individuals with a net worth surpassing $1 million. The index considers a person net worth along with their financial and real estate assets while also deducting their debts, debits, sorry, debts and liabilities. Despite representing just 1% of the global population, excluding children, millionaires own 43% of the world's wealth. According to Credit Suisse Individual Wealth Breakdown, 175,000 people were worth more than $50 million. Of these, 55,800 were worth at least $100 million, and 4,410 had wealth over $500 million. As of March the 1st, Bitcoin's total supply consists of 18.64 million BTC, leaving 2.37 million coins to be mined. In 10 years, the supply will reach 20.6 million or 98% of the 21 million coin from the total supply. When removing the 1.9 million coin that haven't been touched for over a decade from Bitcoin supply cap, there is a maximum limit of 19.2 million BTC available for the world's millionaires. This leaves 0.37 BTC per millionaire, including the yet to be mined coins, assuming Bitcoin supply will evenly be, or be evenly shared between said millionaires. It won't, I guarantee it. <clears throat> However, if every Bitcoin that has remained unmoved for five or more years is lost, a maximum of 14.57 million BTC will be available for accumulation. In this scenario, each of the world's millionaires could own just 0.28 BTC each, assuming the supply is evenly distributed. In addition to the certified millionaires, there are 590 million individuals whose net worth exceeds $100,000. These people shouldn't be disregarded as potential holders, even though their purchasing power is less. Assuming the global wealth proportion shown in the chart above, and they have a, basically a pyramid chart that shows the breakdown of who's got how much money, and we won't worry about it. Uh, assuming the global wealth proportion shown in the charts above stays the same, millionaires represent 6.32 million coin out of Bitcoin's remaining supply, suggesting each individual would have an opportunity to purchase just 0.12 BTC each. The remaining 590 million individuals currently worth $100,000 or higher could effectively hold another 5.9 million coin, resulting in a mere 0.01 BTC per adult. To conclude, buying 0.01 BTC today, which is roughly a $500 investment at current prices, can assure one a top 13% holder position when comparing the relative wealth concentration of the fiat and Bitcoin markets being among Bitcoin's top 13% shares the same exclusivity as being a fiat millionaire. Okay, so, you know, take it with a, a grain of salt because, uh, you know, likely irresponsible. Although, I mean, come on, just, just stack. That's all you got to do. It's not all that hard. Hell, you don't even have to, to worry about how much you're getting as long as what you're buying you're holding on your own private keys and not on an exchange or in a custodial wallet, dude, you should be good. Okay. You don't even need the hit of hopium for that one. All right. So now cipher mining <clears throat> going public, uh, valued at, at this point, $2 billion. And this is Casey writing this for uh, bitcoinmagazine.com. Today, cipher mining technologies announced that it plans to go public via a merger with good work acquisition corporation. 
Cypher Mining was recently formed as a subsidiary of Dutch Bitcoin mining company Bitfury. Quote, the combined company to be named Cypher Mining is expected to be listed on NASDAQ under the ticker symbol CIFR, Reuters reported. Following the merger with Good Work that values the combined company at $2 billion, the merged company is expected to be the largest Bitcoin mining operation in the United States, according to the announcement. <clears throat> Merging with Good Works, a special purpose acquisition company, allows Cypher to sidestep the traditional IPO system in going public. The regulation and institutionalization of Bitcoin miners will allow investors to gain exposure <clears throat> via trusted, recognized avenues. Quote, we were attracted to cipher mining as we believe the Bitcoin mining space represents a compelling way to gain risk-adjusted exposure to the growing crypto ecosystem. Good Works' Doug Worth stated in the announcement, quote, the deal will provide the merged entity with gross cash proceeds of $595 million, which includes $425 million from investors including Fidelity Management and Research Company and Morgan Stanley's counterpoint global Reuters reported. God. Didn't Morgan Stanley and uh, or Morgan Stanley call Bitcoin a, a Ponzi at one point? They all fall down, don't they? The transaction is representative of the growing interest in regulated Bitcoin-focused entities. As the economic incentive for Bitcoin mining grows, these institutionalized public businesses bolster the network and invite new investment in the space. The merger is expected to be complete before the end of the second quarter of this year. Just so you know. All right. So now, now Bitcoin mining, okay, it, clearly people are getting into it, but you better put the brakes on it because T, uh, was it Taiwan, Taiwanese semiconductor giant TSMC is limiting the chip supply for Bitcoin miners. According to Darius Z from BTC Times, we have this Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company or TSMC. The world's largest independent producer of semiconductors is reportedly throttling its supply of, uh, to Bitcoin mining hardware manufacturers. Local news outlet China Money Network reported on March the 5th <clears throat> that TSMC is limiting the access that mining hardware manufacturers have to its production output due to the extreme volatility of the mining industry. Bitmain, the world's top Bitcoin mining hardware producer, was one of TSMC's top customers two years ago before suddenly cutting its orders at the start of the Bitcoin bear market. With Bitcoin hovering at $50,000, TSMC sees high demand for silicon from Bitcoin mining hardware producers once again. Still, the company is reportedly giving priority to businesses that provide more stable demand, such as smartphone manufacturers. As a result of TSMC's output limits, many Bitcoin mining hardware manufacturers cannot meet customer demand. According to Bitmain's website, most of its products are sold out. And retail customers that ordered its top-of-the-line mining hardware last November will not see the machines before May. God dang, man. The chip shortage is not expected to end anytime soon and is a global problem affecting multiple industries. The troubles were seeded last year as economists wrongly predicted that the pandemic would lead to a steep drop-off in consumer spending. Companies reduced their chip orders and semiconductor manufacturers scaled back production. The decline in spending never materialized, so manufacturers are now scrambling to meet the underestimated demand. Bitmain reportedly gained control over most of TSMC's available manufacturing capacity for mining chips, forcing other buyers to divide what little was left. TSMC's income from mining chips this quarter is still expected to be comparable 
to what the firm will earn through its partnership with graphics processing unit manufacturer Behemoth NVIDIA. So shortage of uh, ASICs coming down the pipe. All right. Now, the good news is, if you don't know or don't remember, TSMC is building a foundry, I believe, in Nevada. And Samsung is going to build a foundry, I believe. I know it's in Texas, and I think it's going to be in the Austin area. I mean, honestly, best to go to Austin than any place else in Texas because there's a lot of tech down in Austin, dude. So just be aware. Uh, now, Venezuelans, apparently everybody's getting stimulus checks. I don't know how, but Venezuelans can now buy crypto with state stimulus checks. <clears throat> Decrypt.co's uh, Jose Antonio Lanz has this. In Venezuela, citizens will soon be able to buy cryptocurrency directly from state welfare accounts. Oh, okay. Thanks to a collaboration between the nation's largest state-owned bank and financial services startup Glufco, Venezuelans can now purchase Glufco's dollar peg stablecoin through the same infrastructure that powers the country's biometric payment system. Oh, God. Biopago is the name of that biometric payment system, <clears throat> and it's using funds distributed by the state. The Biopago uh, platform plays a vital role in Venezuela's financial landscape. The, bank, uh, the Venezuelan government uses it as a bridge between the Bank of Venezuela and the country's Patria system, which it uses to distribute bonds, manage remittances, uh, and dole out state relief funds. Now Venezuelans can take those state relief checks and immediately exchange the funds for Glufco tokens, which are pegged to the U.S. dollar. <clears throat> what it means is twofold. First, it provides Venezuelans with yet another way to access dollars and protect themselves against the hyperinflation that the national currency, the Bolivar, continues to suffer. And second, it gives residents of Venezuela a new on-ramp to crypto. Citizens who make use of the Glufco integration can now acquire those dollar peg stablecoins quickly and easily and then subsequently trade them on an, another exchange for other cryptos such as Bitcoin. And they list some shit coins here. Uh, let's see, Gulf Coast COO Antonio DiCaprio told Decrypt, but why? Well, it's no secret that Venezuela's financial system is a mess. A mix of internal corruption and international sanctions have led the country to reach extreme levels of inflation, currency devaluation, and economic recession. One way citizens have sought to escape this is by ditching bolivars and buying up dollars, which up until very recently was technically illegal and purposely very difficult. Another way has been through cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. According to a report from blockchain analytics firm Chainalysis last year, Venezuela ranks third among all countries in terms of crypto adoption, and its peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin trading scene is one of the most active in the world. The government of Nicolas Maduro, however, appears to have recently and finally accepted the fact that currency controls have only worsened the crisis and have decided to open up the country to some level of dollarization that is allowing for the United States dollar to be based or used as the de facto currency of the nation. God, that's got to hurt. Nicholas hates, hates the U.S. Oh, man. Aside from lifting currency controls, Maduro's government has also allowed for the opening of Venezuelan bank accounts with dollars. Given these recent policy changes, Venezuela's central bank now teaming up with a crypto firm to make it easier for citizens to access dollar peg stable coins appears to make sense. The idea, it seems, is to allow them to protect themselves 
from both currency inflation and potentially Bitcoin volatility. After all, in a country where the minimum wage is less than 10 bucks, even the smallest fluctuation can have dire impact on the most vulnerable population. Dollars, physical or digital, may offer the stability that many within the country seek. I don't know, man. I'd kind of, I'd steer clear of it, but whatever. The dollar's just being printed like hand over fist, so it's not exactly that safe. Anyway, Gulf Coast stablecoin can currently be traded on small international exchanges such as Waves and Graviex and Vindax. There's also an OTC desk on the state-registered Crypto Lago exchange where the stablecoin can be swapped for Bitcoin or Bolivars. DiCaprio also explained that Gulf Coast OTC platform will also accept Bolivars, Chilean pesos, Peruvian soles, and U.S. dollars. It also supports payments using Zelle or Zelly, uh, a very popular platform within Venezuela and a variety of stablecoins. <clears throat> the Gulf Coast COO also noted that the Bank of Venezuela played a vital role in the development of this latest platform. The bank did not respond to Decrypt's request for comment. So there you go. It looks like Nicolas Maduro just, I think he got cornered. I mean, it was, it was, it was inevitable. It, he got cornered, but Man, I kind of figured Nicholas to just go hardcore Bitcoin or 100% crypto. You know, the, the U.S. dollar, him using it and allowing his country countrymen to use it has just got to stick in his craw. I mean, you want to talk about somebody who really hates the United States, dude. Nicholas Maduro is your guy. And here's somebody else who hates the, <clears throat> the uh, United States. Is the Internal Revenue Service of the United States hates Americans. IRS get this sucks too, by the way. IRS initiates Operation Hidden Treasure to root out unreported crypto income. Quote, these transactions are not anonymous, the IRS's National Fraud Council said. Quote, we see you. Okay, this is uh, Daniel Kuhn writing for Coindesk. <clears throat> the United States Internal Revenue Service appears to be stepping up its enforcement capabilities with a new program dedicated to cryptocurrency tax compliance. With Operation Hidden Treasure, who names these things, man? The IRS will search for unreported crypto-related income, according to the agency's director of the Office of Fraud Enforcement, Damon Rowe. Speaking at a federal bar association virtual tax conference, Rowe said cryptocurrency fraud will be a priority, and Forbes first reported this news. Operation Hidden Treasure is a joint effort between the IRS's Civil Office of Fraud Enforcement and its Criminal Investigation Unit, and they will train agents to look at blockchains to root out tax evasion among cryptocurrency users. It will exist as part of the office's Emerging Threats Mitigation Team, Forbes said. IRS employees are also reportedly training alongside the European Union Agency for Law Enforcement Cooperation, or Europol, as part of the initiative, uh, Carolyn Schneck, <clears throat> National Fraud Counsel in the IRS Office of, of Chief Counsel, told conference goers that the agency is working with private contractors and vendors, presumably blockchain analytics firms, to develop signatures or telltale signs of fraudulent activity. These indicators include looking at those who structure transactions just below the reporting requirements, like sending a series of $10,000 transactions. Uh, using shell corporations to hide funds, as well as getting on and off the chain, Schneck reportedly said. The IRS has sent conflicting messages to U.S. crypto holders several times in the past. 
Most recently, an updated FAQ page indicated that investors who simply bought virtual currency with U.S. dollars would not have to report that transaction on this year's tax returns. Still, cashing out crypto or making everyday purchases is typically seen as a taxable event. Operation Hidden Treasure is designed to find, trace, and attribute such transactions to taxpayers, Schneck said. Uh, and then they reiterate the sentence, these transactions are not anonymous, we see you. Fear tactics, people. They're, they're having to go and use straight up fear. Does it mean that you don't have to worry? No. No, you got to worry about this. I mean, the IRS is just, they fucking creeps, man. Just a bag full of thieves, honestly, is all they really are. But I mean, they, they do have the power of the state. I may not like the state and I may not really respect the state, but I do respect the fact that they can, they can send people to take all my shit and throw my ass in jail. Okay. If you're, if you're not thinking in those terms, you probably should be. All right, so let's see. Is there anything else? Nah, I'm not going to read that one. Hey, let's run the numbers. CNBC.com forward slash futures and commodities has oil gaining yet again. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is up 0.36 of a percent. It's going to come in at $66.33. Brent North Sea is up uh, a third of a point. It's going to come in at $69.59. Natural gas swinging to the low side by 0.26%. Gold and all basically all the shiny metal rocks are having yet another tough damn day. Gold is down 0.8%. Okay, it's going to come in at $1,684.70. Silver, $25.18. It's down half a point. Platinum is up by three quarters of a point, though. It's doing pretty good. Uh, copper is uh, down by 0.18. And palladium is also down this time by a half of a point. Uh, indices, what are they doing? Eh, it looks, looks kind of red, man. NASDAQ's not going to have a fun day today. Dow futures is up 0.06%. S&P futures are down almost a half. NASDAQ futures off by over a full point. And the S&P mini is down by a third of a point. So let's talk about real money at this point. $50,173 is what we're what I'm seeing here. And I've got, that looks like it's probably going to be my low. Yeah, it's going to be my low. I've got GDAX listing it at 50529 So there's a a decent amount of arbitrage room if you so choose. 274,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us 11,430 transactions every hour on average. Uh, 333,595 BTC were sent in that period and 13,900 BTC are being sent every hour on average, while the average transaction value is 1.2 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.017 BTC, which, which is about 850 bucks, so it's getting a little bit low, as are the block times, nine minutes and 10 seconds. So we're off by 50, a full, almost a full minute, man. Uh, we should be at 10 minutes per block, in case you didn't know. <clears throat> 0.46 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 72.27 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours. They're still pumping Doge, dude, 5.6 cents. At Novogratz, God, 
was it Novogratz? I can't remember. I think it was Novogratz, but some somebody. No, Mark Cuban. Dude, Mark Cuban is saying that Doge is going to hit a dollar. I I I don't even know where this shit comes from. No, it's not hitting a dollar. And if it does hit a dollar, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't even know what to think about that. The the market cap it'd be it, it, how much is out there anyway? Uh, there's a lot of Doge guys. I mean, honestly, like in the last 24 hours, 11, what is 11 billion, 643,000 Doge has been sent in the last 24 hours, 11 billion at a dollar. Oh, you know what? Screw it. Fuck these guys. I can't stand them anymore. Transactions. We have 33,436 transactions waiting on 87 blocks to clear. There is $939.7 billion of market capitalization in Bitcoin, and that means that we've eaten 8.52% of gold's market cap. You can now buy 29.6 ounces of gold with a single Bitcoin, of which there are 18,648,086.34 Bitcoin in circulation at the present time. We have... Uh, 1,125 BTC in the Lightning Network, that is $56.7 million worth of capacity, over 9,369 nodes. Man, that's like a gain of 200 nodes since Friday. Nice. Uh, 38,827 channels. The Tor, let's see, Tor Network has increased yet one more time. We are now at 53.9% of the Lightning Network being run over Tor, and there are 606.1 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. So that's going to do it for Vitals. Okay, Chinese app maker MeToo buys $40 million in BTC and Ethereum. Welcome to round two of the morning roundup. Eric or Ekin Jank is going to tell us about it from decrypt.co. Ah, God, Ethereum. MeToo, that's M-E-I-T-U, by the way, a technology company headquartered in China's Fujian province today announced that it had bought $40 million in cryptocurrencies, $22 million of Ethereum, and $17.9 million in Bitcoin. MeToo, a smartphone manufacturer and selfie app software company that has been listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange since 2016 and has a market cap of $11.76 billion, disclosed that it had bought 380 BTC and 15,000 Ethereum. In the statement, the eight-year-old company said that its board is convinced that blockchain could do to finance and technology what mobile phones did to the PC, internet, and other offline technologies. Quote, the board believes that the blockchain industry is still in its early stage, analogous to the mobile internet industry in circa 2005. The company added that it invested in Bitcoin and Ethereum, the two largest cryptocurrencies by market cap, because cryptocurrency prices in general are still highly volatile, and that these two cryptocurrencies would enhance shareholder value in the longer term. And Me Too said that ETH is a good purchase. You, no, it's not. I'm good. They they do a whole bunch of ether loving here, and I'm not going to do it. Okay, Me Too's Bitcoin investment is part of its asset allocation strategy, fueled by what the company describes as a growing momentum in the consensus building process. It's got FOMO from watching insurance companies and fund managers invest in blockchain. Oh God, 
as well as observing how corporations have added it to their treasury or adding crypto as a form of payment. Me Too said that it felt the time was right because traditional banks now provide trading and custody service and regulators licensing exchanges. Both steps boost investor confidence in cryptocurrencies. It said, when the mar stock market opens tomorrow, it will become clear whether Me Too's crypto spending spree boosts investors' confidence in the com uh, company. Yeah, well, there's other macro factors going around, guys. I mean, the, the STEMI package got passed uh, over the weekend. I think they're supposed to have it finalized in, in its final form and, and uh, on Wednesday or something like that. So a couple of days from now, but it's a done deal. $1.9 trillion just being printed like a son of a bitch. So I wouldn't just connect whether or not I bought, bought Bitcoin as to whether or not my stock price is going to rise. Okay. That's a little, that's irresponsible right there, man. So just be, be aware in life and in Bitcoin organization makes a winner. Okay. Maybe some life advice here from Casey out of uh, bitcoinmagazine.com. Let's see. Tweet from Michael Saylor. How do you think the Romans kicked everyone's ass for nearly a thousand years? <laughs> I don't know, Mike. Bitcoin shall experience an organizational renaissance not yet seen in the space. As we approach new levels of adoption and usage, we will naturally form groups, categories, and units. The structure of our operations and expansion will, of course, be decentralized in origin. But while these organizational pieces will be inherently institutional, the actual effect they have on the network will not be restrictive. They won't limit or control the Bitcoin network as many of the current financial institutions act as a choke point and limited access custodians. Rather, these groups will only bolster the strength of the network as they are formed out of economic incentive and natural market forces rather than politics as so much of the current financial system is. They will represent a diversity of people natural to an open source, unbiased computer program. In a Bitcoin world, decisions are not made on the basis of who you know or where you come from, but on what you know and how you got there. Quote from Michael Saylor, when they put their petty differences aside, they beat everyone else. I guess he's still referring to the Romans. Okay. I don't see too many petty differences in the Bitcoin community. I, I don't know, man. Casey, I'd, I'd kind of look again. I, I see them, but I get what you're saying. Some would argue the opposite, but I think taking a broader perspective will present one with a well-communicated, intricately interconnected network. What appears as what appear as memes and meta jokes can be interpreted as social group operating on the language of the internet. The recent events surrounding GameStop demonstrates this the the efficacy of this, and no longer do these comedic representations of life exist only on the fringe of reality, but as mainstream communicative media. The organization of Bitcoin will happen at a financial and institutional level all the way down to a personal and household level. In regards to such a large paradigm shift, one can expect to experience a reorganization of every aspect of society. Just consider how society right now orients itself around money. Now imagine the entire fabric and identity of that money having been absolutely changed. It is difficult to conceive of the nature of the changes, but it would be reasonable to expect them to be large. The most interesting aspect about Bitcoin is that, unlike the Romans, a state need not organize us. We simply organize ourselves as economically directed to our most organic state. 
where we find our niches and our skills, we find economic reward. And in a society founded upon sound money, this reward compels further pursuit of passion. Freedom on this level could only have been dreamt by the libertarians past. The founding fathers themselves could not have foreseen it. How lucky we are to experience it, and what a wondrous reward, the scarcest money ever known to man. The price of a Bitcoin is misleading. The value of Bitcoin, the network, is entirely unknowable, as anyone who understands Bitcoin may simply tell you it is the value of everything. Having such a coveted reward in front of us, we should feel a desire and necessity to organize. It will bolster the network's defenses, foster community, and promote growth and excellence within the space. When I first encountered Bitcoin in my early teenage years, there was not but a fringe community of internet forums surrounding it. It wasn't until an entire community had been built, creating the social fabric of a network that was necessary to draw more attention and attraction to it, that I would begin to find interest in Bitcoin you see, much like many other things in this world, formulation of groups and coalescing of peoples attracts more people. We naturally are compelled to join what others deemed interesting enough to examine. So it is of the utmost importance that we continue to grow our organizational networks as well as polish these organizations into intriguing and intellectually stimulating harbors of knowledge. Indeed, Bitcoin is better shared with others. So it's a good opinion piece. I I think there there really are a lot more petty uh, petty things going on in Bitcoin than we might want to believe, like you know Eric just getting steamrolled, you know the the the, the usual um, egg planting of Peter Schiff, uh, you know s- stuff like this. I you know it, it's fun for a while, but I mean some of it has got grown a little bit old. But I will always eggplant. Peter Schiff. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, but as far as the Eric July thing, I've said my piece, and I'm I'm completely out of that one at this point. So I I just can't do it, and I'm also just I'm not interested in in jacking around with Jack Dorsey, and and if he wants to sell a tweet for for freaking Ethereum, I you know at this point I just don't care. You go ahead and sell your tweet, and a year later, somebody who paid a million dollars for a tweet is going to wake up and go, Jesus, I spent a million dollars on a tweet tweet that anybody can copy. My God. So don't get wrecked, right? So this is a piece from BTC Times, and this is Andy Edstrom. He's a great writer. I really like this guy. Here in March 2021, Bitcoin's dollar price is almost five times what it was six months ago, and life is good. Yet, as my YouTube, Twitter, and podcast feeds <coughs> overflow with ads for services offering to lend me dollars against my Bitcoin holdings so that I can keep riding the rocket to the moon and avoiding paying capital gains taxes, I can't help thinking about the next Bitcoin bear market. Don't get me wrong. Thanks in part to the efforts of uber bullish friends like Bitcoin Tina and Preston Pish, I have high expectations for Bitcoin. I will be shocked if we don't see $100,000 this year, and I won't be surprised to see $250,000. I am not the guy in 2017 telling you to buy Bitcoin at $5,000 before it goes to $20,000. But as these fiat figures fly, I can't help thinking about the anatomy of the next bear market for Bitcoin. Could this cycle be the escape velocity paradigm shift we've been waiting for? We will never again see Bitcoin's price drop by 75%. Is it different this time? Maybe. But that's not my base case scenario. More likely is something like the following. After consolidating, 
at four, in the forty to $50,000 range throughout March, we start seeing Q1 corporate earnings reports coming out in April, and it becomes clear that more companies are adding Bitcoin to their balance sheets. This carries Bitcoin's price to a high five figures in U.S. dollar. And after one more significant correction or consolidation, we hit $100,000 by the end of May. Now the retail FOMO really kicks in and we see a classic parabolic upward move, possibly above $200,000 in July or August. For Bitcoiners, it's summertime and the living is easy. But then something happens. Maybe it's a hack or theft at a sizable crypto exchange. Maybe it's some serious government FUD like China, US, Europe, India, or some combination thereof. As the big bosses start to come to their senses about crypto, maybe it's just a bear market in stocks that result in a risk-off movement which drags down a Bitcoin market over a, a, an overextended on most, good Lord, drags down a Bitcoin market that is overextended on most technical trading indicators. Or maybe it's a blow up in DeFi land that causes a generalized panic in the overall crypto market. Now the OGs who have large stashes are remembering 2013 and 2017. They've seen this movie before, twice before, in fact. They know what Bitcoin's four-year market cycle around the halving looks like, and they suspect this one will be no different, so they start selling in droves. Now the weak-handed retail holders realize that they were too late to trade. They're reading scary headlines, and even they start to learn about Bitcoin's four-year cycles. They panic and start to fold out. At this point, the leverage comes into play. Plebs who borrowed again, this is the important part, guys. Plebs who borrowed against their Bitcoin to buy houses, Bitcoin entrepreneurs who took out Bitcoin-backed loans to fund their businesses, and class of 2021 average guys turned professional leveraged day traders all start to get liquidated. The carnage compounds over months. I keep hearing that the Bitcoin crash of March 2020 was a credible stress test for uh, of the Bitcoin crypto lending system, and we should take solace in the fact that crypto collateralized borrowers weren't liquidated in mass. Dream on. The downturn that downturn was both short-lived and less severe than true bear markets in the past. Moreover, in March of 2020, BlockFi was an interesting but small startup whose reputation and uh, market positioning could have been mortally wounded had it been liquidated uh, or it had it liquidated its clients. In contrast, the BlockFi of summer 2021 will be one of two one or two orders of magnitude larger will be the 800 pound gorilla in crypto lending and will realize that if its prices fall 40% from the peak, then they are likely to fall another 40%, like they always do in the bear market that follows the price peak in the year after the halving. Ditto DeFi. In March of 2020, the amount of leverage embedded in DeFi products was negligible, and by summer of 2021, it could be enormous. When combined with one or two other bearish factors, the DeFi tail could actually wag the Bitcoin dog. As prices fall, the plebs and entrepreneurs will hope and pray that the usual bear market won't happen, so they'll try to wait it out. But they'll have to make the interest payments on those loans, and those interest rates could be rising in a period in which their businesses have seen their revenues shrivel as fair-weathered retail speculators flee the scene. Some will make it through the winter, but others will get liquidated at the worst possible time. I sincerely hope none of this plays out. I would much prefer to see a steady march upward, but for readers who have made fortunes as Bitcoin breaks to six-figure prices, just remember that you can still blow it. 
Don't be the proverbial man who drowns in the river that was only five feet deep on average. That's in quotes. Be robust. Gird yourself for tougher times in Bitcoin on the road to long-term financial freedom. Unlevered cold storage and self-custody are your allies. Hold them close. You may need them. These, this is shit you should listen to. It is not hopium. Okay. It is the very antithesis of hopium. All right. But you're going to have to cope with it. Right. Uh, I, I saw what happened during, like, I, you know, during the, uh, okay, after 2013, after that, it went into a, a bear market, which is where my entry point was in 2015, all right? So I was at the bottom of the bear. It didn't look like a bear to me, all right? I didn't get, I didn't understand the cycling until after the 2017 run-up and then the inevitable crash and then you know, like he was saying, the, you know, March of 2020 was just so freaking terrible for everybody. Uh, You know, if that happens again, and and it probably will, he'll probably go to $400,000 and then crash back down to, it could even go to $150,000. But dude, we're at 50,000 now. For me, a 3X on what I, you know, a 3X on what I've got in Bitcoin at this point sounds pretty good. And am I going to sell it at the the perceived top? No. Why? Because I don't know if it's the top. I'm not going to try to time this market. I saw people get their asses handed to them in, in 2018 and 2019. It was ugly. I mean, it was really ugly, dude. So no, I'm not, I'm not planning to sell. However, the mental, you know, the mental gymnastics and, and the, the, your mental health that you're going to have to, you're going to have to exercise your mental capacity to, to deal with this kind of shit because Andy's probably not wrong. I'm just saying now, if, 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 uh, if, 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 if you're in India, you really do need to exercise your mental capacity because it looks like they're flip-flopping again. Ekin Jank is writing this one for decrypt.co India's Bitcoin exchanges breathe a sigh of relief as the government reconsiders its ban. Oh, who would have guessed? After much speculation about whether India will introduce a blanket ban on crypto, the government has finally dropped a major hint that it will not do so. The Indian crypto industry representatives told Decrypt that their constructive engagement with the government has paid off. Nirmala Sitharaman, India's finance minister, said yesterday on India's business channel that the government's position on crypto will be calibrated and it wants to make sure that there's a window available for all types of experiments in the crypto world. Quote, a lot of negotiations and discussions are happening around cryptocurrency with the Reserve Bank of India, she said. India's central bank will be taking a call on what kind of unofficial cryptocurrency will have to be planned and how it has to be regulated, end quote. Quote, so we are not closing our minds. We are certainly looking at ways in which experimentations can happen in the digital world, cryptocurrency, and so on, end quote. In January, the Indian parliament tabled the cryptocurrency and regulation of official digital currency bill of 2021. The bill didn't say much except that it seeks a ban on all private cryptocurrencies, save for certain unnamed exceptions, quote, to promote the underlying technology of cryptocurrency and its uses and introduce a framework for a central bank digital currency. 
That fueled much anxiety in the Indian crypto industry. The exception in the draft bill were only grant <clears throat> the exceptions in the draft bill were only granted to blockchain technology while remaining hawkish on cryptocurrencies. As Decrypt reported last month, following the announcement of the draft bill, several leading industry leaders coordinated efforts to fight off a total ban and push instead for a regulatory approach. Sitharman's statement yesterday was pretty much what the industry had hoped for, they told Decrypt. Nichelle Shetty, CEO of crypto exchange Wariex, told Decrypt that the Indian crypto industry sees this as the clearest sign yet that the government will not go ahead with a blanket ban on cryptocurrencies as previously feared. It's amazing news for the Indian crypto industry, he told Decrypt. Our finance minister has now made it clear that India will not be banning crypto until they change their minds again, pal. Just be ready for it. For Shetty and others in the crypto industry campaigning against a ban, the next step is now to get the government to involve the crypto industry in policymaking. Oh, yay, this will help formulate the right crypto regulations in India, he said. Uh, Siddharth Sogani, CEO of the Indian crypto intelligence firm Krabako, told Decrypt that it's industry's persistent dialogue with the government that has prevented a blanket ban. Sogani, who also heads the industry pressure group, the Association for Blockchain, Crypto, and Digital Asset Entrepreneurs, knew there wasn't going to be an all-out restriction as the government asked very inquisitive questions, signaling that careful consideration is being paid with a regulatory framework in mind. As mainstream institutions flock to the crypto space, the Indian government has seen crypto as an unmissable global trend, according to Sohil Merchant, CEO of the Indian crypto exchange PocketBits. PocketBits is one of the members of the Blockchain and Cryptocurrency Committee, part of the wider Tech Industry Association, Internet and Mobile Association of Internet, or, or sorry, of India. Uh, BACC has been campaigning for a regulatory framework instead of an outright ban. The Indian government realizes that crypto is being adopted globally by corporations like PayPal, Tesla, and top-tier banks, Merchant told Decrypt. He reckons the best case scenario is that the draft bill is referred to a standing committee to deliberate and modify it in a way that creates a regulatory framework that accommodates what he calls uh, India's lead in the fintech space. Quote, the world looks upon us for innovation, but for others in the crypto industry, it is not so much the global influence, but rather the logical conclusion of an inward looking policy platform, Sumit Gupta, CEO and co-founder of CoinDCX told Decrypt that the finance minister's statement is a sign of the government's resolve to digitize India and make us, ah, I can't pronounce this word. Anyway, it is referring to Prime Minister Narendra Modi's, uh, sorry, Narendra Modi's doctrine of self-sufficient India. Either part of a global trend or an insular move, the latest announcement is set to calm India crypto's regulatory FUD. I'm getting real tired of India changing their mind because this shit's been going on since 2016. Honestly, they have been flip-flopping back and forth and it just, it looks like it's good news and then it's really terrible news and then it's really good news again and it's really terrible. It's not even shades of gray. It's like, it's like really either really bad or really good. So the question becomes, is somehow this time it's different? I don't know. Uh, We'll have to wait and see if India flip-flops again and starts talking about a ban sometime next year because they flip-flop 
about once every single year. Now, cripple. I'm going to end the, the morning roundup with some cripple stuff. <clears throat> Ripple prevents investor from redeeming $175 million in stock before the SEC ruling. This is also Ekin Gank writing for Decrypt.co. Ripple, the crypto payments company behind XRP, yesterday dodged a bid from one of its largest investors to redeem $175 million worth of stock. The investor, dumbasses that they are, British fund manager Tetragon Financial Group in January demanded to redeem its preferred Series C Ripple stock. And if you take C and cram it in front of Ripple, you get Cripple, which is what I basically call Ripple nowadays. Its request came a month after the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission sued Ripple for, the SEC alleges, raising $1.3 billion in an unregistered securities offering. But Delaware's Court of Chancery, where Tetragon filed the request, ruled on Friday against the investor's claim. Tetragon is a major investor in Ripple. It led its Series C funding round in 2019, raising a total of $200 million. The company couldn't be reached for comment by press time. The terms of that deal included a provision that if XRP is deemed to be a security, Tetragon has the option of having Ripple redeem their Ripple equity. But the court rule said that 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 question hadn't been settled. Quote, XRP is no more a security after the SEC filed the enforcement action than it was before it, the court said. The enforcement action, by contrast, asked that question. The question is not yet resolved, so a determination has not yet been made. And when it is made, it will be made by the district court, said the court, referring to the federal district court in Manhattan, where the SEC filed the complaint. In a statement following the court ruling, Ripple described Tetragon's lawsuit as an opportunistic move to take advantage of the SEC's allegations. They just want their money back because they know they, they screwed up, okay? They're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to get out so that they don't get basically just butt-raped because that's what's going to happen when you guys end up being a security. Tetragon's, you know, the money they invested in that company is going to be worthless, right? Quote, what has always been clear and made so even more today is that the SEC still has to try and prove their case to the court, which we do not believe they will be able to do. As our lawyers have said publicly, the SEC is dead wrong. <laughs> Good luck, Garling House. Last Wednesday, Ripple CEO Brad submitted two arguments to the court for the SEC to dismiss its complaint against his company. First, that XRP doesn't exhibit any of the traditional characteristics of an investment contract, his legal counsel claimed. And second, that Garling House's sale of his personal XRP holdings doesn't amount to aiding and abetting Ripple's XRP sales. The SEC has yet to respond. So while Ripple has won the legal battle against its investor, the SEC versus Ripple saga is far from over. And as it continues to unfold, the investor's spat with Ripple might just resurface. Nah, they burned that bridge. Now, Tetragon, Tetragon's uh, relationship with Ripple is over on everything but paper. I, I dude, I mean, uh, see, if they had shut up, <clears throat> if Brad hadn't said anything at all about Tetragon's move, then chances are good they'd still have a relationship. But I guarantee you that relationship ended when they said that they were being opportunistic and in, in, in trying to front run the decision by the SEC. All right, okay, you're done. And honestly, we're done with the morning roundup.
right. I haven't done a daily train wreck for you in a while. Uh, I don't know why. I'm just not catching them. But I did catch this one from Max DeSalle. Uh, that's at Max DeSalle, D-E-S-A-L-L-E, <clears throat> who stood up and typed the following. Bitcoin has no need for a blockchain. It could function perfectly well exclusively on Ethereum. Honestly, dude, no, that's no, uh, I won't even get into why you guys know why now let's, let's have a, let's have a little joke here, man, uh, from dad says jokes, who says that, uh, my wife hated my impulse purchase on an expensive revolving chair, but then she sat on it. Eventually she came around. All right, so there you go. Number three, episode 379 is in the bag. If you guys do me a favor and give me a five-star review on Apple iTunes, share out the pod to family and friends, and basically just shield the living crap out of it, uh, I'd appreciate it. You know, like, share, subscribe, that that whole thing. And the five-star review really, it, honestly, it's the most helpful thing that you can do. I don't have it set up to where you can just send me money. I would love to, but I just, I'm, I'm still feeling not quite so good about that yet. Um, I, it just, I just need more. I just need to have a little bit more reach. And if you guys could help me out with that, I'd really appreciate it. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.